Hey everyone, welcome to today's audio podcast of the Martin Sibley Show. I'm uh, going to be sharing a great interview with my good friend Toby, who I've known for a long time personally, but also we're going to be sharing a lot of his professional insights around inclusive growth and what he's doing at the moment with big businesses, looking at how inclusion is a very viable business model. But also, I know Toby because we both have spinal muscular atrophy. That's how we first met through the SMA UK conferences as kids. Toby, um, you'll hear the story about how he inspired me to go to university. So there's a lot in the piece about living with a disability, being a wheelchair user and having a care team. And um, not, not loads of depth on that, but the general how he went to uni and then the kind of work he did before getting into diversity and inclusion. So it's a really interesting story. He also shares how he went into a coma and almost died 10 years ago. Um, so lots of really interesting parts of his personal and professional story. Big thanks to everyone that's joined every episode of The Daily Sib on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn every weekday at noon, um, giving their thoughts and questions. And we've had lots of other guests. Um, Toby's was Friday. But um, if you want to go to my YouTube channel, it's probably the easiest place for the replays you can watch or have in the background and listen to the other four guests that were on this week, including the CEO at Leonard Cheshire. And uh, we had, um, yeah, really amazing other people. So just definitely go and check that out. I'm currently sat in the sun again. It would have actually been my stag do today. So both the stag do and the wedding that was meant to be at the end of May have been put back at least a year. We'll see what happens with all this corona, COVID-19 stuff. So a bit of a shame on a personal level with that news. Um, but, you know, enjoying the weather, enjoying the garden. Um, had some good messages with the guys that would have been on the stag do as well. Um, but, yeah, I hope you've had a really good week and are getting on OK with this ongoing lockdown that we're in. And um, let me know what you've been up to. Feel free to get in touch on my social media channels or email me at martin at martinsibby.com. And I hope you really enjoy this episode with Toby. Bye-bye for now. Right, I think we're live on the four channels. So um, welcome to Friday's episode of The Daily Sib. What a week. It's been a beautiful, sunny, warm week, which always goes down well for me on a personal level. And I think... A lot of SMAers, which we'll touch upon what an SMAer is in a moment. But um, yeah, I hope you've all had a good productive week with whatever you're up to and coping okay with all of the lockdown and everything in the, the corona sense of the world at the moment. So today I'm really excited to introduce my good friend, my, my brother, I would even go so far to say, Toby Milden. So thanks for joining me, Toby. Hey, Sibs. It's good to see you again. <laughs> well, the, the Daily Sib, right? Like you've been the Daily Sibs, yeah. I can get away with calling you Sibbers. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess one little thing to probably mention is we know each other very, very well. We both have the same condition. I can't even remember when we would have first... Can you remember when we would have first met? It's a long time ago. Well, you always tell people that I was like the guy that inspired you to go to university. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm going <laughs> to tell that story. I guess it was like, was that the first time we met? Maybe it was. I saw Because I was about 16 and I feel like... I must have met you prior to that at some of the conferences as well. Yeah, um, it's yeah. a long while. I mean, I'm 36, so it's at least 20 years. But no, absolutely. Um, it was oh, it was up in Manchester. It was a charity event about 
sort of um, you know raising awareness, sharing information of living with SMA. You were probably like you were still at uni, weren't you at the time? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's two years between us, so I, I must have yeah. been like my first or second year at uni. And you were talking about how you've managed care and how you you know all the the hurdles and everything to get through to uni. And I was probably doing my GCSEs or first year A level and thinking there's no way I can ever leave home and go to uni and all that. And yeah, you you showed how possible it was. So yeah, yeah it's um that's definitely the the pivotal moment in our relationship anyway. And yeah. then from then we've we've got drunk lots and we've worked together and we've gone on holidays together. So yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of uh, personal friendship there, which is and obviously with Shrini Baby as well. Oh yeah, Shrini Baby. <laughs> <laughs> we've got our WhatsApp group, haven't we? So uh yeah, so obviously that that's a bit of a you know a, a connection of how we know each other through many years in in that sense. But I think for anyone watching that hasn't come across, as I always ask my guests, it'd be great just to share a bit about your backstory and obviously a bit around um, how you've ended up doing what you're doing with inclusive growth. Yeah, sure. So I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant and I work with HR directors and diversity and inclusion leaders and businesses to really help them create more inclusive cultures and more inclusive um, work infrastructures or business infrastructures. Uh, I've been working recently with the likes of Sony, uh, looking at bias within decision making, and HarperCollins on how to become a disability confident business. Very well known. Um, yeah, really good. Um, you know, I do work with really big, uh, well known brands. Uh, I've also been working with also in the public sector with South Yorkshire Police, looking mm. at their uh, looking at what inclusive growth means for them as a police force. Brilliant. So I mean, obviously, we touched upon the SMA side, you know, so I mean, I think a lot of people that follow me are going to get the broad barriers of living and what it is to have SMA. And I think for kind of similar story, both for how it affects us, but also, you know, our mindset is that we, we overcome those barriers and we, we crack on with, with doing all the things we want to do. Um, obviously touched upon uni already for you. Um, what, what did you do at uni? Was it business? Yeah, I did marketing. Um, yeah. yeah, but the funny thing is, since leaving uni, I've not done any marketing, um, <laughs> exactly. other, I suppose, other than my own business now. Yeah, um, yeah. But when I left uni, I, I started off working in technology. Right. Um, I was an IT consultant for Accenture. Yeah. Then I went into healthcare technology. Um, then I went to work for the BBC as a technical project manager, working on the development of the BBC news website and the iPlayer yeah. radio app. So, um, but, and, so my, I didn't start my career in diversity and inclusion. It was when I was working at the BBC that I made the career switch. Yeah, because I remember I always resisted, you know, I, I have a disability, but I don't want to fall into like a cliche job of working around, you know, what it is to be disabled and overcoming barriers. And hello, here I am yeah. doing that. But I yeah. think part of that resistance was me maybe just getting to terms with that identity of like, you know, if 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 in the end I want to do disability stuff, I shouldn't push it away just because it feels like a cliche. So there's a lot of that going on. I mean, and I always admired that you had done those earlier jobs and it was nothing about disability. You know, you were right in the thick of the corporate world, holding down, you know, very sort of long hours and 
stressful jobs and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, just just to touch on that, how how did you find that with the fact that there are times SMA can have fatigue or lower energy and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I I just kept persevering and pushing through. Yeah, um, I think when I when I was working in the city in my twenties, I don't think um, SMA was really holding me back. You know, I, I felt like I had enough energy to to do my job, um, and I think I'm I'm lucky now that I've, I'm still very kind of resilient and I'm able to just keep pushing through. So I'm still able to you know work quite hard and do long hours and things like that. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. yeah. Was yeah. there any sort of did you ever feel there was like a discrimination though or the attitudinal side? Did that ever cause problems? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had several sort of times when I was um, in my career, um, you know, when I worked in consulting, I was working with uh, on one client site and the, um, the, the health and safety manager came around and then asked me to leave the building because he said that I was a fire risk. No way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was then separated from my team for a number of weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I, I decided to go back to the office because I was fed up with being separated from my team. Yeah. Um, and the same health and safety manager just so happened to do another round and told me to leave again. Um, I got quite annoyed and then I got told off for getting annoyed with the client. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people having so many horrible discriminatory stories but I suppose one and you know I think in life there are moments that are very challenging but they also kind of help define what we go on to do and that doesn't have to be a fully fledged job or career because of one moment but I think it gives us different virtues and builds our character and so the, the thing around what doesn't kill you makes you stronger so I get that there's two thoughts jumping at me now to, to, for you to talk around. So one is, you know, how those experiences or if those experiences looked to, you know, took you more into this inclusion, diversity and inclusion world. But also on a personal level, I was thinking the other day, isn't it about 10 years almost to the day that you bloody nearly clogged it, like popped off? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would have been April 2010. So, yeah. Yeah. I was in Mexico when I got the news you were in a coma. And, I, yeah. and my mum mentioned the other day that Mexico was about 10 years ago. So it all yeah. tied together. And then I saw you in the hospital when I got back from Mexico and you didn't know I was there. Like you, even That's... when I said since, you had no idea yeah. I came to visit you. So yeah, first off, like, can you just share a bit about that incident of being in a coma, which is pretty big? Yeah, well... Yeah, it was 10 years ago. Um, I got a chest infection, which, as you know, for people with SMA, it's, um, you know, it's not uncommon for us to get um, chest infections. Mm. Um, I took a course of antibiotics, which didn't work. And then I took another course of antibiotics, which didn't work. And then I got really ill. Um, and one of my PAs persuaded me to go to hospital because, uh, you know, I didn't think that I was that ill. Yeah, um, yeah. So I went to hospital and then the next day I, I was in a coma. Um, yeah. Um, so I was, I was in intensive care for, in a, in in a coma for about two months, um, before sort of coming round. 
Yeah. yeah. Very inconsiderate, Toby. You bloody ruined that trip to Mexico for me. Well, I, just, I just needed a rest. <laughs> I, did, I needed a two month sleep. <laughs> Could you have done it a bit less dramatically? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess as I sort of framed it already, but you, because you've talked a lot about that in your personal story, but within a business context. So, like when you were doing all the corporate stuff, you know, and then, like you said, the BBC started to like, get into diversity and inclusion but do, do you think that, that the incident with the coma had any sort of part of, of why you moved direction a bit or was that more of a coincidence? I think it was a coincidence I mean the the whole coma thing did make me look at life differently yeah um, you know and one thing is that I wanted to be doing a job that I felt really passionate about if I'm honest, I was getting a bit bored as a project manager. I'd done it for a number of years. Yeah. But when I got into DNI at the BBC, it was kind of a natural thing because I wasn't looking to do DNI. Um, I was working in the technology department mm. and I was working closely with our chief operating officer. And at the time, he, he was concerned that within the tech department, only 14% of our workforce was female. Um, and the rest of the BBC is about 50-50 male-female. So as a division of the BBC, we were, you know, we weren't on par with the rest of the organisation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the the science and technology engineering sector is a very male-dominated sector. So, you know, it, we weren't surprised that the technology department at the BBC was you know, facing the same situation. Yeah. Um, so, based, I mean, that's how I first started getting involved. I worked with the COO to um, put together our gender balance action plan mm -hmm. and then roll that out across our division. And I just did it as a project manager. So I put the plans together and I rolled it out. Um, it was then that I realized that I was really, you know, really interested in working in DNI. Um, and a year later, I managed to do a sideways move at the corporation to work in our, our newly um created um diversity inclusion team mm. in hr um but even before then i was i was involved in some degree to dni because soon after joining the bbc i ended up running the bbc um disabled staff forum mm -hmm. uh, which which represented disabled employees in the corporation yeah so it might the interest was always there yeah Just, yeah yeah well i mean and obviously we've touched upon lived experience of disability and I know we were on the board of trustees at what is now SMA UK so you sort mm -hmm. of there were other non-work endeavours if you like that you were doing more in that kind of space so I mean, yeah. looking at diversity and inclusion and obviously you know we both have a disability and I certainly have been more focusing within the disability parts of the puzzle just can you give some thoughts on kind of you know from a business perspective why do they have diversity and inclusion departments or leads and and people and and how does disability fit within that broader agenda yeah so i mean there are loads of benefits to having a greater diverse workplace and to have that inclusive culture so we know from um lots of research that's been done that uh, you know, problem solving is better. You have greater creativity and innovation. Employee retention goes up, which saves the organization money. So there are all of those benefits. If I'm being a bit cynical, some organizations have a DNI team 
or person because they think it's the right thing to do and they're just there ticking boxes mm-hmm. um and it's all about looking good mm-hmm. um you know winning awards and looking good in the public domain um and it's, it's a bit superficial yeah. um organizations that do it really well they really do understand the business case behind it they understand mm-hmm. that it makes good business um and they can you know they can make better products and services they can um they can uh work with their clients better they can win work and all of those things yeah yeah that makes sense and i mean yeah you, you've kindly invited myself and my new business partner aaron who where we launched the purple goat a week ago and that that's very much our view is that we don't want this to, to be about uh just looking to do good or just talking about something and not taking real action but as you say there's an absolute business benefit and you know if we're like if we're talking every everyday life of course there's a moral thing it's the right thing to do of course well, there's a law there's the qualities act but businesses are set up to make profit and some people you know get annoyed that businesses don't do more good but their mm. function in a capitalist world is to maximize profit right so if if that's what drives a business's decision then how do we get social good to be done through that prism and through that driver and i think you know certainly on the disability part of it i'm seeing more and more how that works so like when you're doing it how do you encompass disability with the other protected groups and maybe speak a little bit more about what those other protected identities are as well yeah so when i work with my clients i focus on all of all of diversity um and not just disability and um i so when i explain to clients what diversity is i say to them that it's a bit like an iceberg that you can see the tip of the iceberg um above the waterline and those are the those are the protected characteristics as per the equality act and and are visible uh, characteristics as well so what we can see but actually so much is hidden underneath the waterline that mm. makes us different and makes us unique so it could be whether you're an introvert or extrovert. It could be if you've had a private or public education. It could be where you grew up, um, you know, whether you grew up in a military family, whether you grew up in a single parent family or not. All of these things contribute to our lived experience and and our, what and the perceptions that we can bring to the workplace. Mm. Um, so when I talk to clients, I say that disability is all part of the, the spectrum of diversity. That we have to look intersectionality intersectional as well mm-hmm. so rather than trying to put people into boxes mm. which a lot of organizations do yeah. i say to them you know you know take me for example like i'm 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 male i'm disabled i'm gay and i'm sarcastic so <laughs> you know there, there's a four characteristics there. yeah. <laughs> um so uh I, I prefer to talk about inclusivity with with my clients um because well there are a couple of reasons why i focus on inclusivity so one there are there are there is increasing sort of um discomfort uh so you know the um white white men are saying hang on a minute you know i feel mm-hmm. like i'm being overlooked am i you know am i not you know am i not diverse enough um and i think that's a really dangerous game to get involved in because <clears throat> the thing is everybody has to be included yeah. And, you know, your your straight white man is, you know, has to be included 
in yeah. businesses as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Because I've often said that like, um, Gavin, who runs Neatbox, has been, that doesn't have a disability. And I can always sense that he's almost feeling awkward and apologetic for being involved in disability inclusion as an entrepreneur and running a business, but without having a disability, because there are parts of the disability community that would say, you know, he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And obviously there are lots of other people in the disability community that are very grateful and happy he's there, but he feels that awkwardness and, you know, he shouldn't have to explain what he's trying to do and where his motives come from. And I suppose it's because of past occurrences where the few bad eggs kind of ruin the party for everyone, you know, mm. but yeah, I, I can kind of relate in that prism of how, Gavin feels for not being disabled, that broader, straight white men are feeling within the diversity and inclusion sector. The thing is, we really do need allies as well. Yeah. So in, in business, one, one of the most effective things that businesses can do is create a sponsorship programme where, um, you know, senior people in the business sponsor up-and-coming talent and they do reverse mentoring. So the senior executive can learn from the lived experience of the person that they're mentoring. Mm. <clears throat> and then the, um, you know, the person that's the up and coming talent can mentor the senior executive on, um, you know, what it's like, you know, what their lived experiences are, um, you know, what their experiences in the organization are, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I was thinking around the sort of where DNI fits in to businesses, because obviously the bits that I've been working on more recently is around marketing and I think, like where I'm looking to specifically work around disability is that there are unique insights from disabled people that businesses should listen to, make changes. And then if you're looking to you know, acquire new customers or have more loyalty from current customers, there are marketing campaigns that you can do for a group. So I think within... So what I've been up to, it it works in that sense. But with DNI, you look at a business hierarchy or infrastructure. Like, is it more a HR type initiative, or does it lay over everything? <clears throat> so it's a bit of both. So the thing is, diversity inclusion overlays everything. It yeah. it touches every corner of the business. But most businesses um, give. The responsibility of DNI to the HR department, and I don't, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think lots of businesses do give it to HR because a lot of what DNI is about about is about people in the organisation, mm. but it also touches on things like inclusive procurement practices, mm. um, inclusivity in marketing and advertising campaigns, mm. the work, the buildings, the workplaces that we work in. So it touches everywhere. Yeah. Um, so either the HR department needs to be really good at working collaboratively with the whole of the organization mm. and that they, they don't end up falling into the trap of having to find all the solutions for the rest of the organization. Or in my humble opinion, you know, DNI should be led by the chief operating officer of the organization because it is okay. about the effective running of the business. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that, that makes sense how it it's still within a, a role or a remit because I guess if you just say it should be everywhere it should be in the DNA you've got no one that's being accountable and responsible and driving it 
but yeah, the COO would make sense as a, as a good place to to drive that. Um, just just a couple of um, I think I flashed them up earlier, but good to acknowledge people that have been joining us. Say um, yeah. Chris is saying morning, Martin and Toby, and then you put Sibbers with lots of exclamation marks. Karim says, "Haha, look who it is! The two legends. How are you doing, guys?" Yeah. Hey, good Karim, it's good to see you again. And then Ross, Ross wrote, "Amen." When you were talking about um, it was way back about how you never let sort of disability get in the way of your job and that you yeah. just carried on trucking on. Um, so that was the context of why Ross has turned uh, more religious this morning. And <laughs> Chris put fire risk about your fire risk story with laughing faces. And yeah. then Caroline from SMA UK has put um, love in this chat. Thanks, Martin and Toby. And then Ruth Dan has just literally now put, hey, guys, say, so, Hey, Ruth Ann from YouTube. Okay, hey, lots of Facebook comments. So nice to see people joining from YouTube and commenting. So hello, Ruth Ann. Hope you're good. And obviously, guys, get your questions in. It might be, you know, about some of the backstory Toby mentioned around uh, traveling or health or, you know, working in corporate and tech world and around. And obviously, now we're very much in the, in the thick of it around diversity and in inclusion in that world. So, um, yeah, I suppose moving it on a bit more. So, so when did you go from, and you briefly mentioned at the beginning some of the clients you have at the moment, but so sort of when did you go from employment and being at those BBC type organisations to doing what you're doing now? Yeah, so I left the BBC. Um, I worked at the BBC for nine years and um, it was a friend of mine who said, if you stay at the BBC any longer, you're officially institutionalized. Right. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I loved working for the BBC. It's an, ama it's an amazing place to work. Um, and, um, but I decided that I, before I set up my own consultancy, I wanted to go into, back into the corporate sector. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked for Deloitte for a couple of years because I wanted to understand why, uh, you know, one of the big four accountancy firms was so invested in diversity and inclusion, and they had a lot more of a focus around culture change in organizations. Um, it was then that I that I decided to leave Deloitte and set up my own consultancy. Um, I just wanted a lot more creative freedom. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work with multiple clients. Um, I wanted to create, you know, create stuff. Um, I had my own ideas of a, a framework um, to allow organizations to implement sustainable diversity and inclusion. So um, basically, I put the framework into a book, which was published this year, called The Inclu Inclu Inclusive Growth. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's on Amazon, if anyone wants to get a copy. Yeah. But um, the yeah, and, and working for myself allowed me to do those kinds of projects. Cool. I was gonna, um, we've got quite a lot coming in from LinkedIn, which doesn't come up on the, the software on the laptop, but on my phone. So Amy says, nice chat. Do you think some things are classed as disabilities that are disabling because of corporate environment? So I think Amy is very much coming from the social model perspective in terms of, I, and you know a lot about that as well, Toby, of disability. Do, do you think the social model of disability has um, a lot of application to DNI, which is kind of what I think Amy is suggesting as well? Absolutely, absolutely. I think this is a big problem in businesses. Um, so what often happens in organizations is that they there are barriers that prevent disabled people from being able to perform their jobs properly. So it might be that the right assistive, 
assistive technology is not easy to get your hands on. It could be that the reasonable adjustments process that the company has isn't very good. So disabled employees end up waiting around a long time um, for their reasonable adjustments to be implemented. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they can't crack on with their job. <clears throat> but also, you know, I've seen lots of barriers. So things like, for example, um, training that's provided in the company is put on a, a non-accessible learning management system. Mm -hmm. And that training doesn't include things like captioning. Um, mm -hmm. And so somebody who's deaf or hard of hearing is unable to, um, to complete that training. Yeah. So when I've worked in businesses, I've said, I often say to people that if we look at the social model of disability, it's not about just, it's not about improving the working life and the, and the performance of disabled people in, employ, in the company. Mm. It actually makes life better for everybody. Mm. So if you, take, if you take something like putting captioning on your mandatory training that companies often get you to do once a year or so, yeah. um, it could be that English is not your first language. It might be that you're working on a client site and you don't have your headphones with you. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have to read the training, you can't listen to it. Yeah. Um, so actually putting captioning on training benefits so many more people. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I mean, you mentioned about the, the move that you made from sort of more corporate, you're still working with corporates obviously, but like having your own business now and the, all of the different benefits that entrepreneurs no, and I'm sure some of the some of the downsides of running your own business, or well, not downside, but you know the the demands and all that sort of stuff. But you mentioned your framework, so you know if if a business is aware enough that there is some sort of barrier and some problem, and they look to then engage with you, um, can you just talk a little bit more about the framework in the book, but also how you would then be able to help a client? Yeah, so the framework is made up of seven components. <clears throat> and it, and, and you, you basically work your way through from left to right. Um, and they all begin with C. So we've got clarity, culture, change, colleague experience and design, cyber, collaboration and celebration. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so um, well, by the way, I'll put a link up so people, because you've got a website as well, haven't you, with yeah. some of the information. What was your website? It's milden.co.uk. Because yeah. I'm sure there's some visuals that people can look at as well, right? Yeah, there's a visual of the model on my website. Um, and actually, people can go on my website and take a free scorecard. And right. the scorecard has a series of questions where you can benchmark yourself against the model. So you can see whether you're kind of red, amber, green in terms of your inclusive growth trajectory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, but, cool. Um, yeah, carry on what you said about the framework, though. Yeah, sure. So um, if we start on the left, so clarity is all about understanding why diversity and inclusion is important to the organization, how, how it helps you achieve growth, because we're all about re reframing diversity to enable your business to grow mm -hmm. and how you get your chief executive on board. Um, and then how you understand employee data and insights to then shape your strategy. So that's all clarity. Yeah. Culture is about how you then intentionally shift your culture. And the, and the very practical steps that you need to take to shift your culture from where it is now to mm -hmm. where you want it to be, to be more inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, change is about how you put proper change management in place. So many organizations, when they do DNI, they don't do proper change management. So they don't know what outcomes they're that they're aiming for. And so they don't know if they're being successful or not. Mm -hmm. um, colleague experience and design is really the linchpin of everything because 
This is about trying to fix the business processes and systems that hold people back rather than trying to fix individuals. So a lot of organizations say, you know, oh, we don't have enough women at the top of the business. So we're going to develop this program to give women more confidence. <clears throat> Thing is, you don't need to give women more confidence. You need to address the, the things that are holding people back. So it might be that the company's just not very good at flexible working. So anybody in the organization that's got caring responsibilities for, you know, children or elderly parents or, you know, disabled children or, or anything like that are going to struggle. Um, <clears throat> cyber is all about the systems that can help you scale up what you're doing around DNI. There's loads of cool apps and technologies out there that can help you. Mm -hmm. um, collaboration is about how you work as a whole organization and so and not just HR working on their own. And then celebration is about how you create your employer brand, how you tell the rest of the world that you are an inclusive employer. Yeah, which I know you did. Another string to your bow is you've launched a podcast, right? <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, the Inclusive Growth Show. Yeah. And you had uh, the first guest was about branding, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had some really interesting guests on there, and you're going to be one of my next guests. Yeah, we're all <laughs> lined up for next week. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean, obviously the branding stuff. I'm I'm totally you know geeked out on on that side because I think quite often, whether it's disability or general DNI, there are so many things that, whether knowingly or not, are actually quite good, but brands are just scared of celebrating it. Your, your final C was celebrating. They don't want to put out something like, yeah, we did this, because they're worried they're going to say it wrong or it'll come across wrong. And so no mm -hmm. one knows that they did it. And then all of, not all of the business benefits, because obviously there are lots of business benefits internally around more productivity and efficiency and cost saving. And so all that stuff's very much a bottom line business benefit as well. But in mm -hmm. terms of consumer brand benefit, no one gets that because they never celebrate it. So yeah, that, that last one really chimes and, and resonates, but obviously you have to do all or lots of the other things. I, I, would you say to someone that they should do all of the the first C's before they celebrate or is there could you do a project of improvement in one area and celebrate that and then move on to other improvements yeah the thing is like if you were starting from scratch you you could work your way through left to right basically yeah. and do one thing at a time and celebration is at the end for a reason because so many organizations do the celebration first they submit for awards and they win awards but the lived experience of disabled people, uh, of you know, people, is the following day is that it's not particularly inclusive. Mm. Um, so, um, if we even if we look at the Times top fifty employers for women, uh, a lot of those organisations in the top fifty have some of the worst gender pay gaps. So there is a disconnect between what you know what they're saying and you know the reality of their organisation. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. Full celebration is not good as well, right? Like you can't. Yeah over egg what you've actually done yeah i think like you can you know but you can do like you say you can do a bit of celebrating as you as you go um so yeah cool that sounds good okay there's a couple more coming in from linkedin um susie says agree that inclusion should be a whole company thing embedded into every part of an organization Dermot said, totally agree. The COO drives all forms of D and I. So thanks for that there, Dermot. Amy again saying, 
What do you think of chief diversity officers? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I think um, having a chief diversity officer is a good thing. So I'm making the assumption that if an organization have a, has a chief diversity officer, that they are they're effectively a board member and that they're sitting they're sitting alongside the chief operating officer and um, you know the CFO and the CEO. <clears throat> if that's the case, then that's a great thing because that that chief diversity officer is um, you know has the right level of uh, authority. And they're able to, and they're able to um, implement DNI from the top down, which is really important in business. Because what happens so very often is that you might have a chief executive who is saying the right things about DNI. They might not necessarily be walking the talk, but then they then delegate all of the responsibility of DNI down to somebody else who doesn't always have the resources to do the job or the or the um, or the authority or the yeah. uh, the amount of influence that's required. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Susie said the board should be accountable and should approve resource, money and people for organisations to be more inclusive too. Amy's saying, how do we get more power to power minorities? Cool. So how do we get more power to power minorities? Yeah. How do we get more? Yeah, I'm not, maybe Amy could clarify exactly what what you mean by the question how do we get more power to power minority i guess it's maybe if it does if that is what what's meant to have been written i suppose it would just be like how do we empower minorities to have more you know influence and decision making in organizations yeah i think um i mean sponsorship is is really effective so creating a way of of um senior executives sponsoring people in the organization um, reverse mentoring is also really effective. Um, but the other thing is, you know, what we really need to be doing is looking at the systemic bias that's happening. Mm. So if you look at, say, your um, succession planning or your, your um, you know, your performance management process, basically you need to surface the data to show that certain uh, members of the organization are um, you know, not are not at competing on a level playing field effectively. Um, so, um, you know, if you can surface that data, um, you know, it might be that you 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 notice that there are no disabled people in the high performing box. If you if you do like a nine uh, three by three uh, performance grid, which lots of organisations do, um, if you if you notice that you have don't have many people from a black or ethnic minority background. In the high performing box you need to ask yourselves well why is that is there yeah, something is that something systemically going on um yeah. that means that we're not on a level playing field yeah yeah that's yeah totally agree with you as it's one thing i was thinking around you mentioned unconscious bias so i sort of get i know what the words mean and i kind of get the sentiment but i think it's possibly a a word used in dni where it's very known what it means and maybe to others it's a bit a bit of a not a buzzword but you know what I mean it's um it'd be great just to explain a bit more detail what you believe unconscious bias to be yeah so I I actually there's there's quite a few academic definitions of unconscious bias which um, I can imagine <laughs> I can't get my head around um well I, I really like the definition by Verna Myers who's done okay. a couple of TED talks she's um she's a DNI uh she's an American lawyer by background um, she's a DNI person, 
um, she had her own company, and now she's the head of DNI at um, at Netflix. And and in her TED talk, she says that biases are stories that we make up about people before we get to know them. Yeah. Um, so when I do unconscious bias training, I I tend to use her definition, and and then get people to think about what are the stories that we're making up about people. Um, I prefer to look at bias within the context of decision making, mm -hmm. because a lot of people look at bias that we have towards or against particular groups of people. So you, anyone can go on the Harvard implicit association test and, and test themselves for free. Um, when I did it, I, I found out that I was moderately biased against disabled people. So <laughs> if I get, if I give you a job interview, Martin, you're not going to get the job. No, no, no chance in hell. That's more than people know about my history, I'd imagine, than anything. <laughs> Great. No, thank you for that. That's, that's very helpful for me and for people watching. Um, so Gavin said, sorry, missed it. I've had investor meeting, but 100% watching the whole interview later. Definitely do, Gavin, because we actually mentioned you. And then Gavin also said, people power, commercially, this sector has so much power, but it needs direction and cohesion to be truly effective. My fiance, Kasha, has said, great job, guys. Hi, Kasha, in the garden. <laughs> and um, Ross has asked a question, what's your tip for SMAers who say they can't work? I mean, I'd probably add, that's not just people with SMA, I think it's anyone with with a, a disability whereby it's not chronic fatigue or chronic pain. Um, but yeah, what 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 are your thoughts on Ross's question there, Toby? Um, that's a really interesting question because what I would want to know is is the reasons why why they say they can't work. Yeah, because um, there are so many reasons, and I think it could be that somebody doesn't have the right mindset towards work it might be that they don't they're not equipped with all the right sort of facts that they they think they can't they can't work because employers won't accommodate them the thing is there are so many there are really good employers out there that you know that provide adjustments that provide flexible working that you can work from home um that kind of thing yeah yeah it's, um, i mean that's, i know when i've and actually i was going to just mention for anyone that wasn't here at the very beginning, an SMAR is someone with spinal muscular atrophy, which is the condition Toby and I and Ross, who's asking the question, have. I just thought I'd better clarify what an SMAR is. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I mean, it, it is a very difficult one, both within the SMA community and as I caveated before, you could apply that question to other kind of conditions. But, you know, everyone has a different sort of experience with a health condition, but also, as you say, mindset and all sorts of other variables. So it, there isn't one answer, I guess you're right. So you have to just dig a bit deeper into that person's direct experience of what they feel is the blockage or the barrier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people say to me, oh, people won't employ a disabled person. And obviously... You and I and Ross and others can say, well, hang on, we're, we are, we have been employment. So that's, you know, that's a direct kind of, that's not true. But then mm. if someone has had a load of bad experiences of not having their application replied to or not getting interviews and all this kind of stuff, you can understand why they would start to feel like their disability is the cause. So I mm. guess it's trying to get, 
the two to meet in the middle and someone like Jane Hatton at Evenbreak, there's loads of employers on her jobs board that absolutely is looking for, yeah. in this in this instance, in this example, disabled employees. So it would probably be trying to point to the positives and point to the solutions as well. Yeah, definitely. You're right. I mean, there are so many employers out there that are very pro-disability. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love the BBC. So BBC for years had had run a program called BBX, BBC Extend, which was a work experience um, program for disabled people. So um, you could get a six month or a twelve month work experience um, place uh, yeah. with the view with the view that you could then go on and get a get a role within the organisation afterwards. Mm. Um, and they they had had that that scheme running for years. So yeah, how do you see that? Because obviously BBC does have a I don't know, they call it public, is it public sector? Would, it, would BBC be classed as public sector? Yeah, it, it, it is, yeah, public service broadcasting, yeah. Yeah, so, like, when you see public sector and private sector and charity sector, can you see trends around DNI within those different sectors? Yeah, I think with the public sector, there is a lot of there is a lot of um, work going on around DNI, partly mm -hmm. because of the public sector equality duty, which yeah. is an, ad an additional um, thing for the public sector. Um, but actually, you know, the likes of the BBC, who has a public broadcaster, um, the business case is really clear, and the, the corporation exists for the whole of the country. Um, everybody pays their license fee. So everybody deserves to see themselves reflected in the content that the BBC yeah. produces. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I was so interested in going to Deloitte in the corporate sector. You know, Deloitte, you know, why would Deloitte, a big four accountancy firm, be so interested in, in DNI? Because at BBC, it was very simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wanted more of a challenge, right? Yeah. I just, you know, I just wanted a different, a, a, a different approach, a different yeah. look on DNI. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're um, sort of moving more towards the end of the chat, Toby. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to mention and what's coming up? Any sort of plans or on the horizon? Yeah, so I've, my, book, my book's out. Um, I've been running webinars a lot lately um, during the coronavirus because um, um, I've been reaching out to my network on LinkedIn and my clients and just really understanding how the coronavirus is, is affecting yeah. Um, diversity and inclusion in businesses um, and you know they are coming up with concerns that um, the priority of DNI is is falling down the priority list of organizations that senior execs are not as um, that they're not supporting it as much because they're so focused on salvaging the business and delivering products and services um, uh, obviously people, we're having to change the way that we work with so many people working from home lots of people going on furlough and whether that, you know, how that's being done, whether that's being done inclusively. So um, I've been doing lots of webinars to kind of go through some of these questions. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's been a lot of my focus re recently. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's, you know, there are those odd businesses where for whatever reason, there their business is booming during lockdown, you know, like the obvious stuff like Netflix or whatever. But, you know, that, that it's undoubtedly that people are not going to spend as much, whether even if they're not furloughed or if they're furloughed, they've still got some money in their pocket. But, like, not, not just because they've not got money in their pocket, but just because people are a bit more likely to save during these, you know, weird 
times and then that goes to businesses as well um mm -hmm. i think my general advice to people is to to just do the sort of stuff you're doing it's like to to do podcasts and webinars and research and just be very there for the customer base and client base that you serve and yeah. you know there may be a dip for a while but once we come out of it and obviously corona will one way or another pass you know there will be things will pick up eventually and then you'll be sort of more in people's minds because of all of the support and help you gave during this time and i think yeah and unless you're in that more privileged position that business is booming then it's about brand awareness and brand sentiment yeah so a lot of what i'm talking about with people is around um respond regrow so that's that's my yeah. big message at the moment respond regrow so that is um teaching businesses how to respond in an inclusive way um, so if for example they are you know a lot of their employees are now having to work from home yeah. um, the dni leader can be asking questions like um you know hang on you know how accessible is the technology uh, for people to work from home you know how do we support people with uh, fluctuating health conditions so that's the responsibility of the dni leader to be asking those kinds of questions so they are they are there to support the business in this critical time of responding to the current situation. Mm -hmm. And then inclusive regrow is all about how businesses are going to bounce back. Because there are lots of businesses that are that are innovating at mm -hmm. this time, that they're finding new ways of doing things. Yeah. Uh, and that that could be their new business model going forwards. Yeah. So how do they have that, how do they have a more inclusive business model? going forwards. And again, that is the responsibility of the DNI leader to, to help the business with that. So my big message at the moment is around inclusive response and inclusive regrowth. Yeah. I and mean, if you look back at World War Two was one of the you know most obvious times where the world was turned upside down similarly to what we're seeing at the moment. And of course there was like the Marshall Plan that tried to help rebuild economies and societies after World War Two. And it feels like, you know, one way or another, we're going to have to rebuild a lot of elements of day-to-day -day life. And mm. from a DNI and from a disability perspective, it's it's the best time if you universally design something with everyone in mind. The benefits are so much bigger in the long run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of sign off. But any parting words for people that what you mentioned? website and book but feel free to give it one more plug and then then we'll, we'll say bye to everyone i think if anyone's interested in in you know learning more about inclusive growth then um just go on amazon and, and get my book just type in inclusive growth toby Brilliant. milden and it will pop up cool thank you very much toby it's really good to chat with you today and everyone else have a lovely weekend look forward to yes. seeing you on monday for the next episode of the daily sib and uh yeah enjoy the sunshine Cool. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.